Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining us today are Brianna Frank, Director of Product Management in IBM, and Chris Rosen, Program Director, Product Management of IBM. And welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you so much for having us. So, hello, thanks. <laughs> hello there. So let's start by having uh, Chris and Brianna, both of you, give us a quick intro as to who you are and what you do. And let's start with you, Brianna. Absolutely. So I run product within uh, IBM Cloud Developer Services. You know, we do everything uh, Kubernetes, OpenShift, we have observability, we have serverless, and we also have uh, distributed cloud and developer tools. So we're really kind of solving the problems of um, the developer and making, hopefully making things a lot easier for innovation to happen. And Chris? And I'm the product lead. I work for Brianna in kind of the containers and microservices space within IBM Cloud. I've got uh, 22 years at IBM, and in this role, what is you know fantastic is the ability to work with our customers, our partners, internally with developers, designers, sales, marketing, to really create all of the tools that Brianna had mentioned and do so in you know a very user-friendly way to increase productivity of those developers. Going on from intros into intros of the new year, uh, this is our, I think, fourth year of doing the podcast. Uh, it's hard to imagine, uh, given the last couple of years, like have lasted like 20 years. Um, but we generally start about, any, you know, talking about any new year, talking about what's new. And we get to hear people's predictions about what's going to happen. And yet we never seem to look back and, and see what has really transpired and see if our prior predictions really came true. Um, Brianna, you were at Monday 2020 uh, a couple months ago, and you delivered a keynote about some of the things and some of the changes that you were seeing. You spoke with a lot of banks and fintech teams about what they're focused on and what their challenges were. Can you talk about some of those lessons and some of those conversations that you had? Absolutely. You know, it was such a neat conference for sure. Um, you know, it's one of the first times that we've, we were back together and um, I, we, we covered a lot of really interesting topics and, you know, if you talk to the attendees, I think it's a really neat intersection between finance and technology. And so, and this is just my own personal observation is that technologists for the most part are still working from home. Most of the time we're kind of, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of fine being very productive working from home with, with a few exceptions, but the, the majority of folks are still working from home. In the banking industry, the finance industry, a lot of people are actually back in the office. And so it was kind of an interesting uh, intersection uh, and the changes and some of the challenges um, that COVID brings and, you know, going back into the office brings in terms of, you know, now employers are having to kind of think through healthcare choices for their, for their employees and whether or not, what is the vaccination policy? What is the mask policy? And sometimes it's actually really hard to hear each other when you're wearing a mask. So while you're back inside, and together, that might be easier and more productive, but there's also some barriers. So we talked a lot about that and the culture changes, and then even some of the more challenging issues of childcare. If your child is exposed, or you know, maybe daycare is shut down, like what that means and how that really complicates things. So that was a big topic. 
um, just, you know, dealing with the pandemic and kind of where we are and then where we are on this journey of, of um, becoming vaccinated and, and kind of moving on or, you know, kind of uh, the new reality of living with, um, with within a pandemic. But then I, it was also kind of interesting, I think, from a technology perspective, this concept of uh, digital transformation. Most everyone is on a path to digital transformation, but the folks that were already had already started had such a head start. So if you think about, you know, uh, you know, the loan process, for example, you know, when you go into, you know, finance your house, you know, if you're buying a new home, that's a very, a very much in-person process where you and where you, you know, go in and you're signing something. And if you were in that industry and you were already on that path, monetizing the digital transformation was so much easier because all of a sudden overnight we needed we needed everything to be digital. So that was kind of an interesting, I think, um, aha moment that probably never in history has monetizing that digital transformation been realized as quickly as in this pandemic. And so I, you see a lot of fintechs that have really been able to take advantage of that. That's a very good point. And sometimes I would think about it in a similar sense, had this happened 10, 15 years ago, I don't think we would have been able to change overnight as quickly as we were able to do two years ago, by and large. Um, that switch was was quick and it, it was painful, but we were able to, to make it work. So taking that one step further, speaking of lessons learned, pain points and everything we've been through the last two years, along with digital transformation theme that you're just talking about, Brianna, security is top of mind for many, many organizations, especially financial services when it comes to dealing with money. Now, recently I've heard a figure actually coming from, from someone uh, in a conference from IBM that talked about 600% when it comes to increase in cybercrime since the beginning of the pandemic. That's large. That, that is a big number. So I want to know from, from your perspectives, Chris and Brianna, what role does cloud platform play when it comes to cybersecurity? Yeah, so I think it's fascinating because there were clearly a lot of changes as a result of the pandemic. And one of the things that we've seen come to fruition is there's still a need for access to resources because developers and these folks that were working from home and had access, but maybe the IT organizations weren't there to stand up and provide them the infrastructure that they needed to actually develop and add innovation and create new things. So what we actually saw as a result of this was an even greater growth in these shadow IT deployments. And then the result, I think, of the 600% increase was because that those environments weren't as secure as clearly they needed to be. So I think, you know, when we're working with the customers and we think about the differences in approach from security as kind of this optional bolt-on checkbox at the end of the process that some of our competitors take compared to IBM's approach of really shifting security left, bringing that into the entire DevOps cycle, integrating security checks to DevOps tool, to resource creation, ensuring that they are 
secure, hardened, lockdown by default. And even in the situation of these, you know, kind of quote unquote rogue shadow IT deployments that we're building in configuration and hardening and we're minimizing the risk of those errors or kind of those self-inflicted situations where they deploy something and they leave ports wide open or they leave uh, an object storage box that's wide open to the world and they're letting these things be uh, you know accessible to, to those that shouldn't have access to it. Yeah, and just to further, you know, I think Chris, of course, brought up some great points. And I think this concept of really needing to modernize faster or really get to this, this digital transformation faster means that the developers need to offload some of the responsibility onto someone else so that they can innovate faster and they can get to a, a new digital experience faster. And so that means that a lot of the operational chores they have to offload to someone else you know uh in in most cases a cloud provider but with that it has to have security baked in and so anything that we can do to automate or alert them when there's a vulnerability is really going to help because they are you know really under uh tremendous pressure to transform so that they can get to this you know newer uh, digital experience so that they can really help their clients as they're uh, navigating through the pandemic. Yeah, and security is obviously going to be a really vital component of any cloud service. Uh, when we spoke with your IBM colleague, Grandy Walker, last year, we talked about the launch of IBM Cloud for financial services and some of the things that your banking clients are doing with those tools. Um, Chris, can you can you talk a little bit about what's been going on there since the launch and, and some of the success stories that you guys have seen? Yeah, absolutely. So a quick kind of recap for those that potentially missed the, the previous podcast. Obviously, I encourage you to go listen to Randy talk about the financial services cloud. Um, but quickly, think about the IBM Cloud for Financial Services as kind of a, a reference architecture, including solutions, and it's an ecosystem program operated by IBM Cloud in our existing data centers and infrastructure. So it's not a, a separate thing. It's really about bringing these controls to the existing infrastructure, to existing products and offerings, taking them through this compliance effort. So the intent is really to kind of enable things like security, uh, compliance, and the agility that's required to achieve cloud transformation benefits in that real trusted environment. So it's kind of been the blocker of things like fintech and other highly regulated industries from adopting cloud. So we want to build in that framework, provide those insights, those controls, those governance. So that way we can support bank confidential data and the things that are used to run kind of those mission critical workloads. So when you think about the approach, it's having a, a set of frameworks or guidelines that all of the financial services cloud validated offerings would go through to make sure that they adhere to those very stringent requirements. And these are not things that IBM kind of made up on our own. We do this in our open ecosystem. We work with a number of very large global institutions. That uh, pool of partners has grown exponentially to, to smaller regional banks. So this way we're building the framework 
in the open so that way we, we understand what these banks are going through to ensure compliance and hardening of their own environments so that way we can provide that by default in the cloud we can provide the tooling around it insights the validation to those environments clc as from announced to today more and more of the products have gone through that rigor and have become validated as a financial services offering one of those obviously near and dear to my heart is red hat openshift on ibm cloud this is providing kind of that managed OpenShift environment in the cloud. We're really focused on simplifying the environment for our customers to be able to, to innovate, to move quickly, to deliver on their line of business objectives. So one of my favorite customer stories is Banco Sabadell. They became the first bank in Mexico. They're obviously a subsidiary of the broader uh, banking group that includes Spain. But they were the first bank in Mexico to make mobile banking 100% available to its customers and became the first banking institution to join the FinTech Association of Mexico. So when you think about, well, why, what's, what's the value of this? It's really driven out of their, their need, their business outcomes to be able to enrich the digital strategy to meet their customers where they are and to provide that banking as a service. And we touched on earlier, typically, you know, you'd go to the bank, you would actually go into a branch and if you had to deposit checks or work on loans or whatever the banking situation was, Banco Sabdel wanted to elevate that and simplify the experience, uh, COVID or not, to allow customers to be able to perform those things digitally. So we've got a great partnership with the bank where they're consuming a, a number of IBM solutions, including IBM Consulting, our managed OpenShift, as I had mentioned, things like API Connect to really um, bring in API, different services, different capabilities that are running all over the globe to be able to consume those in a secure manner. And then also things like Cloud Pack for Data. How do we take the existing data that we have, the customer information, the buying trends, how do we take that data and how do we perform analytics on it to be able to make intelligent offers or communications to our customers to help them learn and grow. So to me, it's a really great example of us delivering value to this customer and then being able to innovate and deliver faster on our financial services cloud offerings. I like that example, Chris, because that's one of the areas we've been fascinated with for quite a while is there are tons of data, right? And then what do we use with that data? What do we do with it? And how can we apply AI and other tools in helping banks or fintechs to make the decisions they need to make for themselves, but also more importantly for their consumers, such as, you know, there's a lot of discussion about using that for lending. How can we help people qualify for what they can qualify for, including those with credit thin files, for example. So it is a crucial, say, challenge, but also opportunity um, that we need to address in financial services. So, Brianna, this question is for you. Taking that on, right? How can you can you touch on how your clients are uh, using the data, innovating around the data and related applications, and 
how privacy and regulatory controls around that data work within the platforms that you have? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think one of the biggest trends that we see is this concept of, you know, keeping data where it resides. And so we're kind of bringing the cloud services to the data. And that's a relatively new phenomenon. And so we have a, a product, IBM Cloud Satellite, where we can extend the IBM Cloud into any location, including an on-prem data center. And that has been really popular with regulated workloads because if you have a, you know, a country regulation where the data can't leave that particular country, we can extend our cloud services into the data center and that data stays in that location and never leaves. And so then it, you kind of get in a situation where you can adhere to the compliance, but you can also leverage cloud native tools and best practices that allows you to innovate faster and create apps very quickly, um, but you can still be, you know, rest assured that your data is is not leaving that that country or that location. And even we can build in the um, IBM Cloud for Financial Services controls. We can extend those into that location. So th that is a that's a pretty important trend that we see repeating in lots of different regulated industries. You know, of course, financial, but. You know, we, we have a, um, a hospital that we're working with in um, Germany and they're that they're a great example. They that hospital, that, that very private personal data cannot leave that hospital site because of GDPR and other regulations. But they needed to be able to actually create. They needed to be able to create an app for covid vaccination scheduling very quickly, because now you're having to, to create two appointments, not just one. And they didn't have an application that could handle that really elegantly but they had to create it quickly. So if you can leverage cloud native tools and best practices, but at your, you know, the, the hospital edge, if you will, that allows you to keep that data where it resides, but still, you know, move quickly and build faster. And then you can, then you're, then you're starting to create in days, not months or years, and your data is secure. So I think that's a big trend that we see. And then also, you know, if you have, if you want to apply some AI to the data that resides in a particular data data center, you can do so in many cases with a lot less latency because you're not having to move the data anywhere. So there's a lot of really interesting benefits to that model. interesting when we talk about sort of the speed to deploy and what we've learned from the market and what you guys are doing. Um, both Theo and I have been working with fintech startups in a lot of different parts of the business model over the years. Um, you know, Theo is at ARP and certainly pulled in a lot of fintechs into their sort of ecosystem. And when I was at Santander, we invested and deployed a lot of, of work uh, working with fintech startups. It's been really, really interesting to see as well how Different enterprises of different sizes, especially large enterprises, have partnered with these startups and what they've learned, uh, everything from investment, like I said, and joint ventures to leveraging the emerging technologies. Chris, can, can we talk about that part of what you guys do as well and talk about how you work with uh, fintech startups and other types of startups uh, in terms of your accelerator and the program that you guys have there? Yeah, so we have something called it's the IBM HyperProtect Accelerator Program, and it's very exciting. So to date, we've enabled 45 global fintech, healthcare, and insurance startups over the past just over two years. So 
as we look forward in 2022 and growing that program, we plan to work with 55 companies and partnering with these early stage entrepreneurs. And what we're specifically looking for in the startups and in this space, those that are handling sensitive personal identification data, and that may include things like medical records, um, insurance claims, financial information, intellectual property, you know, so on and so forth. When we think about kind of the guardrails, the criteria uh, for this program, for those that are listening and interested, um, we're working with those startups that have less than a million dollars in revenue and typically less than five years old. Obviously, if you're you know right on the bubble, feel free to reach out and contact us because we'd love to be able to talk to you about what you're doing in this space, how we can partner and grow together. So for those that you know are not familiar with this HyperProtect Accelerator program, I definitely encourage you to go out and read about what the program results have been to date, again, over those two plus years, and then also sign up for partnering with us and working closely with us in 2022. I'll pause for 10 seconds for everyone to grab your, your pens and papers to be able to write down this short link that I will give you. It is ibm.biz slash HPA dash 2021. So ibm.biz slash HPA for HyperProtect Accelerator dash 2021. Now I understand we're in 2022, but the program launched and this is when the article was from. So let's think about 2022 and how we can work together and bring your startup into the program. Like that, or we can just look at this as an extension of 2021 um, and a better and brighter future. So the future is cloud. A lot of people talk about that. And also some other people say the future is already here. Just look around you. So I would hope that it seems pretty obvious or it should seem pretty obvious that the move to hybrid and multi-cloud is critical to being competitive in the space. Now, with that in mind, Brianna, I am curious to know from you, how has that general attitude towards cloud services changed in the past several years? And hopefully that's positive. And what has surprised you the most? You know, I think that the the biggest surprise I had recently, maybe in the last year, I was, I was talking to a CIO and they they basically have just embraced this concept of cloud sprawl. And, and I think that's kind of an interesting concept is that, you know, every company is already using multiple clouds. Like, there's very few companies that have one singular cloud. And so instead of trying to, you know, move everything back so that everything is perfectly fits into one cloud, they've just embraced the fact that their workloads are, are spread out in lots of different places for many good reasons. And I think that's kind of an interesting, you know, uh, psychological approach is that embrace it and actually let that work to your advantage to some degree. And so you might want to place your workloads on different clouds based on lots of different factors. And so instead of trying to work really hard to, you know, make that sprawl go away, if you embrace it, 
data gravity can actually work to your benefit and you can you know, leverage the, you know, the location or the cloud services on that particular cloud for whatever reason. So I think that's kind of an interesting, you know, shift. And we're seeing that more and more where in many cases, cloud, uh, you know, instead of instead of kind of trying to go back to one cloud, maybe what you're looking for is a, con is a consistent platform that you can have a consistent developer experience across all of these different clouds or on-prem and, you know, really allow yourself to accelerate and have more developer productivity because you're going to have a consistent developer experience across all of these different locations. So I think that's the biggest aha moment that I had is that our clients have embraced the fact that you know we are in a hybrid multi-cloud world and and they're really not trying to fix that um so i think that's kind of a neat uh realization and if that can work for them and they can actually speed up that's that's kind of an interesting uh development remember, you know, a little bit less than 10 years ago, being inside a bank and t t talking about, you know, offshoring data and all these things into the cloud was just uh, something that a lot of people never saw happening this quickly. Uh, so, but when you, when you look at the financial services market and the technology needs of, of incumbent banks and startups uh, in the fintech side and tech firms that are moving into every single part of this business model, what are some of the other areas then uh, of, of ways that you've developed tools and help your clients be more productive and innovative and adaptive in order for them to meet the needs of their customers? Chris, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. What other things have you guys developed? Sure. So when you think about, you know, the customer's needs, it's never a single product or offering that will encompass the entire solution. So that's really the key is to build products and make them tightly integrated, um, ensuring that they've operate their seamless user experience, consistency from the API level. So that way the developers that are consuming these platforms can do so easily. And there's a range depending on the customer that we're talking to. Either they're doing some brand new cloud native development and it's a greenfield situation, then that's kind of easier to think about a microservices based architecture and really design it properly from the ground up. But there are also a lot of our customers that are going through an application modernization. So think about their existing or traditional or legacy apps that they've had running for, you know, years, maybe even decades that they need to modernize either to be able to innovate and move faster or to extend their capabilities by adding cognitive capabilities to those applications. So what we've done from IBM perspective is give them the tooling that moves up the line of responsibility by using these managed services, meaning IBM will take care of below the line some of the things around the operational characteristics of these offerings and let them focus on the innovation side. That includes, I touched on Red Hat OpenShift on IBM Cloud already earlier. So clearly that's a key environment to be able to either build or run these containerized applications. You also think about things like event streams, which is our high throughput message bus built uh, using our open source or the open source Apache Kafka. So think about a, a place to be able to send um, you know, metrics and things that are needed as your applications are running. 
We also have IBM Cloud Satellite, and Brianna touched on this earlier. This is our response to distributed cloud. So bringing fully SRE managed capabilities outside of the confines of IBM Cloud infrastructure. So maybe we want to bring event streams or managed OpenShift or object storage or databases to, it could be the customer's data center. It could be their edge locations, including retail or banks or manufacturing or even other public cloud infrastructure where we can manage these services. It allows us to eliminate things like latency and data sovereignty issues and bring the compute, bring these modern technologies wherever the customer needs it. Another example, you know, we work with customers that have been running data centers on-prem and they've come to the challenge of currency. How do we maintain the latest and greatest from Red Hat when we think about OpenShift versions? So if you're using a cloud managed service like Red Hat OpenShift on IBM Cloud deployed through IBM Cloud Satellite, let us handle the lifecycle updates, security fixes, vulnerability remediation, et cetera. And then the last thing that I'll mention is uh, the IBM HyperProtect database as a service. And I've said a few times HyperProtect, so I'm gonna back up for one second in case everyone is kind of lost on what this means. In IBM, we have a set of technologies called our HyperProtect crypto services. This leverages FIPS 140-2 level four encryption. Now, maybe you're thinking, Chris, that sounds really nerdy. I don't know what that means. In common language, it means this. In other cloud providers, they have a policy assurance that they do not or will not access your applications and your data. In IBM Cloud, using this level of encryption, is there a technical assurance that IBM, our developers, our support engineers, our uh, SREs, do not have access. There's no backdoor, there's no way that we can access your applications or your data. This is really the foundation of the financial services cloud because think about this enclave, this bubble around all of your resources that we don't have access to. So one of those services that runs on the HyperProtect technology base is this database as a service. And a quick example is Home Lending Pale. And they had the goal of creating kind of a platform to help advocate that for those prospective home buyers from all backgrounds, that it removes information about race, gender, uh, sexual orientation from the conversation. Let's really, let's just focus on the numbers for these prospective buyers. So to fully realize those aspirations, Home Lending Pal needed that powerful and security-rich environment that would protect user-sensitive information. So that's what drove the team to partner with IBM to join the HyperProtect Accelerator program. And they worked with us to move to IBM Cloud to adopt these secure and hardened technologies to be able to provide that platform. Chris. So before we close, um, since it is still sort of early in the new year, I wanted to get um, a few from you all. How have the past two years been for you at work and for your teams? And most importantly, what do you look forward to the most in the coming year? 
You know, I think the the you know the last two years have been challenging personally for most of us. If you know we're homeschooling and and trying to manage our work at the same time, you know, my my husband and I kind of laugh that we're we redid algebra. Um, it, you know, I don't. It, it, I kind of I already passed it once, so I'm not sure if I wanted to take it again. But we did that. So it's hard, you know, right? But I think that if you have a really good team around you, that makes all of the difference. And I think that that has been really special. It's made me really appreciate the people that I work with because um, I don't know that I could have done it without them, right? And 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 I hope that I can, you know, be as supportive of them as they have been of me. I think that's the most special thing that's come out of this is the appreciation I have for my coworkers and you know really makes me want to show up and bring my best self because I'm so appreciative of the people I work with. I think also I am really you take for granted some of the things that you get within your company. And I think IBM in a very there we're really focused on security obviously. So from the day day one, we're already set up to work from anywhere. So we have VPN, we have machines that are secure and everything. And we just take that for granted. So yeah, we just plug our machine in and and we go at home and yes we didn't have the most comfortable chairs at our house to work from so we might have had to you know upgrade a little bit but we were able to get going from literally day one and i noticed my friends and and other you know technology companies big technology companies that are you know pretty established they didn't have these basic things that were set up in a secure way and it took them a while to kind of get their feet under them. And I think we had that from day one and we just took it for granted. So we just kept working and it was fine. Um, and I think that's kind of an interesting lesson is that, you know, really set up your enterprise and workforce so that they are set up for anything in a secure way. Um, so I'm very appreciative of one, the company that provides me the right tools, but also the people. And I think what I'm looking forward to most, and Chris and I actually talk about this, I hope that this is what he's looking, I know it's what he's looking forward to most, but um, is like getting back together with your, your, your coworkers, because I think that we have a lot of fun together and we laugh a lot. And, you know, having those wonderful relationships are, you know, things that we look back on for years to come and uh, I miss seeing them in person. So, and usually, you know, Chris is in New York and I'm in Raleigh. So, we, you know, see each other at conferences and certain client events and things. And, uh, you know, we miss getting back on the road and being able to have that camaraderie. Yeah, I completely agree. So I think, you know, the unique thing for me when COVID started was that I've been a work from home for, you know, 10 plus years or whatever. So sitting in the, the comforts of my own home is not new, but, you know, typically I'd be traveling quite frequently. So removing that was definitely something that took some getting used to. And then also, you know, when we were in person and think about collaboration and the tools and the way that our teams would interact from the product management side to design to our developers, we would sit down in one room, we'd have whiteboard sessions, we'd have design thinking, we'd have, you know, a thousand post-it notes all over the walls as we're building new things together. So fast forward to pandemic and it's how do we replicate that in a virtual world? So fortunately, we had the ability to, to use some tools like Miralee and obviously WebEx and whatnot, um, but we really got comfortable in that model to be able to ensure that we have the same rate of innovation and collaboration using the tools that were accessible to us. So I think 
you know, and I know that people on my team have struggled with the lack of camaraderie in the office environment, being able to go tap someone on the shoulder and say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm a little confused on this. Can we walk through? How is this supposed to work? What's happening? Those sort of things. So I think, you know, we continue to, to work past that. I likewise hope um, more than anything that we get back to some sense of normalcy. We had a, a little taste of that at the end of 2021 to go to some face-to-face conferences. We did KubeCon North America and it was great. It was obviously much smaller, but just to see humans where you know we were in the same room was fantastic. I'm optimistic that we'll be able to do even more of that this year and just continue working with those customers and, and building great products. I think a lot of us share that same sentiment, uh, Chris and Brianna, as much as we are grateful for all of the tools that we have out the, at our disposal. And the fact that, you know, the four of us in four different states in the United States can actually get together for an hour and, and chat. Um, it's, it's most wonderful, but I do miss uh, some sort of in real life interaction and miss tapping people on the shoulder. I miss accidentally running into people um, at the most unexpected places and time. So here's to 2022. Here's to hope for better, more cherished experiences in person. And thank you so much for the two of you joining us at the show today. And for the rest of you, thank you all for listening in to another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week.